What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Visually Stunning Movie Podcast, where you can get real, honest opinions about films that are opening in your theaters soon, and every once in a while, an older film as well. So stay tuned. Enjoy what you're hearing. Don't forget to like us and follow us on social media, at VS Movie Podcast. You know how all that works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Visually Stunning Movie Podcast. I am Mark, your host. It is lovely to be talking about films again. And today I have a special guest, my friend Patrick Gibbs. Patrick, welcome to the Visually Stunning Movie Podcast. Uh, thanks, Mark. It's good to be here. I'm for those of you who don't know who I am. Damn you! Um, my my name is Patrick Gibbs. I am the film critic for Slug Magazine, um, and it's great here to be talking with Mark on the most visually stunning podcast in history. Uh, yes, in one way or another, that's probably true. Uh, so okay, it's I, not good to be talking to you. There, it is. Well, it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, for those listening at home, you might notice every once in a while, while my audio is incredibly clear, because I finally got my audio set up properly done, my, my voice is going to sound funny. And the reason you can't see why my voice sounds funny is because we're not recording video today because I have a splint across my nose, splints up my nose, because I had a septoplasty a week ago. Uh, so it sounds like I'm stuffed up, stuffed up every once in a while. So if it sounds like I've been snorting coke, that is not the case. Uh, I am, in fact, recovering from a, a surgery. But... I feel good enough to talk about movies, and thankfully, Patrick had some time today, and we're going to jump right in on some of the movies that we've both watched recently. Uh, may or may not be in theaters. They may be on streaming. We'll talk about those as we go. Uh, let's start easy, uh, Patrick. Let's let's start with a fun movie that I think hit limited release a couple days ago, uh, The Phantom of the Open. Okay. Uh, you know, The Phantom of the Open is one of my favorite sports films to come along in a while. And that means I'm not a huge sports person in real life. I often, I enjoy sports movies about 50, 60% of the time. I think one reason why I've never been a big sports person is because ever since I was a little kid, I kind of had a hard time with this idea that having a winner meant you had to have a loser. Uh, it was, that's just what, it, that's just who I am. But I think that plays into part of why I loved this movie so much. For those who um, have not heard of Phantom of the Open, it stars Mark Rylance in the true story of Maurice Flitcroft, or Morris Flitcroft, I should say, because it's in England and they pronounce it Morris, um, who was a very average guy who whose sons got to be old enough that they developed their own 
interests and didn't need him looking after them so much anymore. And it was kind of time for him to find his own hobbies. And he decided that hobby and pursuit that he was going to take was going to be competing in the the British Open golf tournament, despite the fact that he had never golfed before. Um, and I would like to point out, you don't like sports movies, but you do like this one. Uh, well, uh, go- like golf, as a, as a golfer, I can tell you golf is barely a sport. Um, Agreed. And I, I didn't say I didn't like sports movies. I said I liked them 50 to 60% of the time. Fair, fair enough. Maybe, maybe more. Uh, I would say it's probably more like 70% of the time. Uh, I guess what I should say, I rarely love sports movies and consider them to be great films. That's the way I would put it. Sure. But I usually enjoy them. But yeah, no, so yeah, The Phantom of the Open. Mark Rylance, this is the second movie of his this year that I have absolutely loved. The first I gushed about with Ryan back when it came out, and that was The Outfit. And I this is a completely that. different performance. It is. Uh, from Mr. Rylance. He, he he is amazing as as Morris Flitcroft. Yes, he 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 starts out as just this guy that doesn't know what he wants to do with the rest of his life uh, when he may get downsized at work when his kids are grown and his wife says, what do you want to do? And he sees the British open on TV and decides I want to play in the British open. It's open. Anyone can play in the British open. And so he applies to enter and doesn't understand the entry form. And so kind of backs in through this series of wacky events into playing in the British open. But he buys a set of clubs online, or sorry, mail order, because uh, this is the 70s, you know. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and he goes out to the, the local beach and he and he hits some golf balls and thinks, yeah, I can I can totally do this. This is fine. And you know, he goes, I'm just going to go win the open and win 10,000 pounds. It's like it's brilliant. Uh, and of course, that can't be the way it plays out. Uh, and it's not. Uh, and, and it's. Of course, it's a true story. It's not how it played out. Well, based, yeah. Let's let, let's based on a true story. Let's Ryan and I talked about that. You know, there's based on a true story, inspired by a true story. This may or may not have happened in some way, shape, or form to somebody in the past, kind of thing. Uh, but this is based yeah. on a true story. A lot yeah. of it is documented. We have footage of him playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the beginning, I, although it was weird, uh, uh, the guy that directed this is uh, Craig Roberts whose work I'm not intimately familiar with. He's pretty young and pretty new. I mean. uh, yeah, he only has a few directoral credits. Right. But but early on, uh, as as uh, as Morris is kind of finding his way, I almost had this weird Terry Gilliam vibe uh-huh. and the way it was being presented. And I was like, okay, so that's cool. That It kind of tapers off as the film goes away and it becomes more of a... Uh, predictable or or by the numbers presentation i, I don't want to yeah. say it's a by the numbers film per se but, but, but that a, that aspect of it kind of drops off yeah there's a more whimsical feel with um some some animation and things toward the beginning that we we have a little bit of later but it it becomes more conventional i would say uh for me one of the things that one of the strongest choices for me about this movie was that within the first 
I think really before the credits was over, they had completely sold me on loving Morris in that moment when... So, uh, Morris proposes to his wife, who's played by the great Sally Hawkins of uh, the Chick Water, and she uh, drops the bomb that she's a single mother, she has a son who does, she says he doesn't have a father, and Morris says, well, now he does. And at that moment... Yeah, you can't not I, like I him. I love this guy, and was totally committed to watching and rooting for him. Yeah. And and to me, that's a, a, an important thing for this type of movie is that you've got to get us on board with the character as Ab- quickly as possible. Absolutely. And so, you know, so he, he marries her and adopts her son and they have twin boys. Uh, but yeah, at, at, you know, he turns 46, I believe is what they say. And it, he decides he's going to do this. And the, the reason he's even known is because in the qualifying round to get into the open, which is what he got allowed to play in, he shot a 121, which is not impressive at all. Uh, that's basically almost double what a professional, actual, for real, competent golfer would shoot for 18 holes. Uh, and so he doesn't make it, but people figure out that he's not a professional, which is how he got in. He checked the box marked professional because he didn't have a handicap for as an amateur. You had to have a handicap to even apply. And he goes, well then just put me down as a professional. He goes, I'm a professional. I'm going to go play professional golf. He didn't understand. Right. And the, and you know, the old club in Scotland didn't catch it, even though someone tried to point it out to them. Uh, and, uh, he, he got in. Well, he he becomes kind of this minor farcical celebrity, kind of uh, think James Hung from American uh, Idol almost uh, in in terms of sports. Yeah. Also, uh, the character, uh, the person that I would compare him to, both in sports and sports movies. And here we're getting into the issue of what you just said about true stories. Uh, you there's definitely a touch of Eddie the Eagle to him. Yes. Uh, th- in terms of true stories, this sticks. This takes less obvious liberties than the Eddie the Eagle movie did. I think you know when it comes to, I, I do think it's important to make the distinction uh, about true stories. I tend to think of it as a bit of a given because if you're looking at movies that are truly true stories, there are maybe three of them ever made and that's being generous even documentaries um, are uh, presenting a very specific version of the story but I do think that this one took less broad broad stroke liberty less less factual liberty yeah, uh, yeah, they 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 still took some dramatic liberty, I think. But, oh, sure. Uh, but a lot of the facts are are you know they're again they're documented, they're conventional. Oh, <coughs> oh excuse me. But uh, you know it's it, it it is it's and so you know he gets kind of branded uh, the world's worst golfer, which is insulting to him somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he spends the rest of his time trying to prove that he's not the world's worst golfer. Uh, he gets into the open again, but they won't let him play 
they will not let Morris Flitcroft oh. apply. So he goes in under an, an assumed name and he wears disguises and and his wife encourages him, which I think is great. She like helps make his disguises and come up with his names. That was one of my favorite aspects of the film was the husband and wife relationship because she's so supportive, but she's also not she's not just the wife character, the generic wife character. Right. She has a character of her own. She's very likable. In fact, honestly, I see it as a potential supporting actress contender, more so for a nomination than an actual win. It's too early uh, at this point to say, but I thought she was great. She was just such a terrific character, and the bond between them was so genuine and and real and loving that it was just really refreshing to see. Yeah, it really was. And and so the movie go progresses on across the years, and he comes to find out that he's famous in his infamy, uh-huh. but beloved by lousy golfers everywhere. Uh, <clears throat> and he gets invited to a, a country club in Michigan, of all places, because they've held... Uh, a tournament to determine the uh, winner of the uh, Morris Flitcroft Trophy every year, for the you know where the worst score wins. Uh, but it gets people that that wouldn't necessarily play golf to play golf and love golf, and and they it's not a mean spirited thing that they're doing, and they invite him over for the tenth anniversary, not to belittle him, but to genuinely honor him because he because Morris Flitcroft. Now, some of the liberty I think is taken is maybe a, a, as as his life moved along from that first year or two, uh-huh. uh, he maybe became a little more calculating in what he was doing. And I think in the film, they, they minimize that. Of course. But, but still he was very, uh, genuine in his desire to not be seen as the world's worst golfer. Uh, not necessarily, you know, but, but he was also, you know, once you get once you get a taste of fame, it's tough to give up. And he had again become kind of this minor celebrity who later becomes this kind of semi-major celebrity esque kind of person. Right. And it's uh, it's really interesting to watch him develop. And yes, Sally Hawkins as as his wife is very, I mean, like it is. She's she's always there. She's she's supportive. For of everything he's ever tried to do and everything he tries to do once it's his turn. Uh, and it, you know, the whole movie is about what happens when it becomes, you know, if you're a middle aged man and it becomes your turn, you know, what do you act, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, now you're grown up and you have, you can decide what you're actually going to do. You're not going to work the crappy job to pay the mortgage, to put the kids through school if they go through school or whatever. It's, it's literally, it's like, it's, it it became his turn and that's what he decided he wanted to do he was a dreamer really most of his life anyway uh and then he he dreamt he dreamt big and i think that that's what inspires people about him is that he is a dreamer and somebody who goes out and tries to live his dreams whether he's any good at them or not, that he's not going to be deterred by the fact that he's terrible and 
making a fool of himself, though he does obviously feel some motivation to change that that image. At least in the film, he comes to terms with it to a certain extent. Uh, for me, another the relationship between Morris and his boys uh, was great. Uh, the oldest boy that was a really terrific dynamic. Uh, the two twins who act as his caddies, you know, I'm really picky about how twins are portrayed on film because right. I am an identical twin. And often it, I've seen it done wrong and done just very shallowly and as a gimmick more often than not. And this one has fun with them, but it, but they felt real, like real people to me, and I really thoroughly enjoyed the interaction there. Yeah, and it, it felt they they felt real, even though they were the fantastic Flitcrofts. Yeah, <coughs> award winning, yeah. world touring disco dancers. Mm-hmm. Which fact, it just which it's 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 the seventies were a weird time. They were the, that that's that's what I remember about the seventies. The seventies were a weird time. Um, but Definitely. no, overall, uh, this. This film is is just really, really good uh, in terms of of the way it's put together. It, it it feels right. It never feels like it's condescending to the viewer or to Morris, no. uh, which is great. Um, it's it's really nice when films don't do that. Um, and it's it's well performed, and you always. You never want to stop watching. And in a film like this, it's very easy for you to just go, I, I just don't need to watch anymore. Absolutely. I I kind of compare it um, to a game of golf in that it's just to my idea of what a game of golf should be, which is just a really pleasant walk from point A to point B with these fun little interludes in between, but never losing sight of the fact that just being out there and enjoying the air and the experience and your surroundings is a big part of what you're out there for. Well, absolutely. I, and my, my earlier comments about golf aside, I do love to play, even though I'm not very good at it. Uh, but yeah, so, um, Again, I'm not 100% when this actually released. I, like I said, I know it was going to be limited release. It released on Friday locally here in, here in Utah. Right. And then it, uh, it, it, it'll eventually go wide uh, yeah. in, a, in a couple few weeks, and it may wind up on streaming. I actually don't have those details in front of me. I didn't get yeah. them for some reason. I'm, I'm sure it will wind up on streaming <coughs> sooner rather than later. Uh, that seems to be the... That seems to be what happens now with everything that's. Well, that's it, not- it's not going to be a six month wait. It'll you're right. No. It'll it'll be streaming sooner rather than later. That yeah, that's for probably sure. Probably within within the month. Yeah. So with, uh, within a thirty to forty five day period, and I doubt it'll be as much as forty five. Right. Uh, so yes, the Phantom of the Open with Mark Rylance and Sally Hawkins. Uh, it that's it's just a it's just a great fun little film, and again. This is the second time this year that Rylance 
has just done ridiculous work. And for me, he's just, I mean, I have a lot of friends who will say, like, I'll see anything with this person or that person. I mean, I, I, I can't really say that one way or the other because I see everything anyway, but I get excited about anything Ryland does and what he's done this year already is just astounding. I, I couldn't have loved the outfit more and this was so completely different. I think one of the things that I love so much about him uh, as somebody with a theater background when he, I there are theater actors and there are film actors and when you have somebody who is able to combine the best elements of both at the same time you have somebody that's really special. Yeah. Ryan and I were talking about that when we talked about the outfit and how you could put the outfit on as a stage play. Absolutely. You, uh, you really could. You'd have to tweak one or two little layout things, but other than that, it's like it's, it's but it translates to the, to the screen very well. So yeah, it is nice. Rylance can definitely do both uh, without question. Uh, and he's got an Oscar to prove it. So, and a huge amount of stunning, theater resume before that the yep. only reason he's really become a film actor is because Spielberg talked him into doing Bridge of Spies and while he had done some film before then it wasn't until that Oscar for Bridge of Spies that he started saying yeah okay I'll, yeah. I'll start maybe maybe there's film. something to this film thing exactly uh, <laughs> yeah right it's funny how success will do that to your outlook uh, so he definitely checked that one out let's talk about something that at the other end of the cinematic spectrum Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Uh, a Netflix original. And this, this is the only time that the word original will be used in describing this film. Yes, that is a uh, fair cop. Uh, that would be uh, Interceptor uh, starring uh, Mrs. Chris Hemsworth, Elsa Pataki, uh-huh. uh, an actress in her own right. Uh, executive produced by Mr. Hemsworth. And... Okay, you know, uh, I'm a military guy, as what? I remind people often. So mil- oh, movies really? with military stuff, I had no idea. I know, right? Yeah, I mean, but so 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 I, I remind people that all the time because then every time you get a movie like this, I spend <coughs> I spend two thirds of my time just kind of shaking my head and going, "What am I watching?" Uh, this 
this film I actually watched as part of a double feature uh, during one of my convalescent days. Uh, I watched uh, Chris Hemsworth do Spiderhead also on Netflix. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I watched this after lunch. Uh, Interceptor. Um, and yeah. how did you eat down lunch? Uh, I had to have the lunch as a palate cleanser after Spiderhead yeah. before I went into this. I needed to fortify myself. Um, this is about uh, an army captain who is assigned to a a mobile classified nuclear interceptor base in the Pacific. Or Nash. Right. I'm kidding. Uh, but she has a past, a professional past, which we learn about as the film goes on. Uh, and of course, it's uh, one of two nuclear interceptor bases uh, that the United States have. And the film opens with the other one being taken down by terrorists. And we learn that someone has stolen 16 nuclear missiles in Russia. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, Which, of course. Way, perfect timing to to release a movie about nuclear missiles from Russia headed toward. Anybody. Headed toward US. anybody. But yes, the United yeah, States. Yeah, I think it's something that we all want to be thinking about right now. Abs- absolutely. Especially in our, in our escapist entertainment. Uh, 100%. Uh, and so, of course, she uh, is awesome and realizes at the last second that they're about to be uh, attacked and survives the initial onslaught and locks herself in the control room, which is where the terrorists want to be so they can disable our ability to defend ourselves against nuclear attack. And so the film is an hour and 40 minutes of cat and mouse between a room and a hallway, really. Uh-huh. Uh, and you could have saved time by just saying this is part diehard ripoff and part Crimson Tide ripoff, uh, but but it was probably better to give it a bit more more setup than that. You know, I was scheduled to interview. Um, Matthew Riley, the director, and uh, his co-writer, Stuart Beatty, uh, who wrote the first Pirates of the Caribbean and Collateral. I was going to interview them both about this movie. Then I watched the screener and said, I just can't. Right. How – I don't know how – I mean, like, what am I going – what kind of questions am I going to ask? Like, okay, so – in terms of the bad comic relief, did you did you decide that your movie was bad enough that you needed to make fun of yourself, or did Netflix say, "Look, this sucks. You've got to like pump up the stupid tongue and cheek elements." I like I, I didn't know how with you, when you're interviewing actors, you can be a little bit mo- less pointed and skirt around what if you really didn't like right. something, but when it's like, why the hell are you directing a movie? <laughs> there's no, there's no way to handle that interview. Yeah. It's, uh, this is his first, uh, first directorial credit. And so of course my question, it would have been, how does it feel to be, to be put in charge of a, of a Netflix production? Uh-huh when Netflix is known to put a lot of money behind stuff. 
<clears throat> did you feel any pressure? And do you feel that, you know, oh. what did, what did you learn? You know, try, try to lead them down that path. Right. But yeah, this, this movie is, uh, it's a Netflix original in that Netflix paid for someone to write it. They didn't buy it from somebody. They paid for someone to film it and it's been under their umbrella the whole time. That is the extent of the original in, uh, Netflix original, right. uh, it is. You're right. It's. It is. It's. 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 It's part Die Hard. It's part Crimson Tide. Uh, it's part. It's. It's part Olympus has fallen. Yes. Uh, which actually, I love the 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 fallen trilogy. I, I'm I'm a Gerard oh, really? Butler fan. So uh, you're the one. I'm the one. I'm the one that's keeping those movies going. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I keep writing him checks. He keeps pumping them out for me. Uh, but uh, yeah. <laughs> you're welcome. Maybe. Send but, him an American accent in the mail. Um, yeah, right. Uh, but, well, speaking of American accents, we get Elsa Pataki and her Spanish accent, yeah. which they explain why, well, you were raised in Spain, right? Yeah. And that literally, that's how they explain it. Right. It, it was clumsy. Uh, so much of the film is clumsy. You know, there are, there are a few things that I want to touch on as to aspects I really hated about this film. <laughs> go uh, for it. All, um, so, like, I wanted to go easy on this because I am, you know, I was, I was a teen or into my twenties in the nineties. I have a fondness for the action movies of that era, even the bad ones. Well, not all of that, but I, this part of nostalgia is that we get nostalgic even for the bad stuff. So, even something on the level of The Rock, which is not a good film. But if it, if it had even been able to bring some of that for me, I could have been uh, placated. But this feel what I would compare this to is more like it felt like a diehard themed episode of Jag. <laughs> it, it, that that was the level of, on which most of the movie, apart from that sequence outside toward the end uh, which you see most of in the trailers anyway there's really there's nothing about this that it goes beyond a student film in ter- and I'm not talking just about skill I'm talking about in terms of the impressiveness of what's on screen but um, the flashbacks with her father were just embarrassingly bad to me they were so heavy-handed and just so cheesy TV movie. Um, and that goes along with the flashbacks that a big complaint I have, whatever your feelings are on whatever side of the fence you're on, on the whole, on the Me Too movement and all of that, I wasn't crazy about tacking it on as a well we need to stretch this out to feature length and this is a female protagonist so let's throw in a me too element to to feel relevant it didn't it felt very forced to me and it was just it was melodramatic and poorly handled yeah i don't i don't know that i that i feel that that aspect of it was forced i know that the the flashbacks were terrible yeah of it uh, and I know there are some people that feel the way they present 
their the response to her situation. That I know that's genuine. I know there are people out there like that. I've encountered oh, those it, people. Uh, <coughs> and absolutely, it, and by force I mean tossing it into this particular yeah. story felt felt labored to me. Um, is there some authenticity to what's portrayed? Of course. I just felt like it was. If it if it wasn't in the film, it wouldn't have mattered. It yeah, didn't matter it, to it, the film at all. Right, and it. They tried to make it matter a couple times, but if you pulled every instance out, it actually makes no difference. Yeah, to, to like the plot of the film, such as it is condescending to the character to say, "Okay, well, if we're if we're going to have a female protagonist, we have to throw in this element in order to to feel like we're topical and we're really representing the female point of view in this movie made entirely by men uh, who don't really have a strong female point of view. But and, and I think that might be part of the problem with films that try to represent uh, is that they try to do it from outside. Absolutely. And so it winds up not really it doesn't it doesn't feel accurate even to those of us that are not in the group they're trying to represent you just look right. at it and you go it just doesn't feel right and then you hear from that group and you're like they're like yeah that and you're like oh it's not just me then it's 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 an actual narrative flaw exactly and th- um, that's the unforgivable sin is if if your narrative doesn't work it doesn't matter what representation you're trying to put in it doesn't matter any anything else uh, but again, conversely, and I say this all the time when people are talking about representation matters, I'm like, yes, but just because you have representation doesn't mean it's a good film. You can have a, uh, you can have all the representation you want and people that aren't represented, you know, if you make a film, not for me, middle-aged white guy, but it's a good film, I'm in, you know, it's a good film. If you've narratively done your job, I'm in and I'm good. And, and I will acknowledge that you've made it a great film. It doesn't matter. But if you go the other way now, not only are you alienating me per se, but you're not getting to the group that you thought you were getting to. So yeah. in the end, it all comes down to story, 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 narrative, narrative, narrative. Uh-huh. And this and film doesn't have it. It, it doesn't have it. Um, so much so that they feel feel the need to have these frequent cutaways to okay so when chris hemsworth first appeared in this movie what first of all why i he has cameos let's be clear yeah he, he, he well yeah and cameos is the word when i first saw him i'm like okay this is uh this is a like a one scene cameo because he he was involved behind the camera yep. and his wife uh, stars in the movie and it's like ha ha whatever but he's a TV salesman in a TV store as this story is being broadcast around the world is getting live streamed whatever but then it's like it plays like they just decided. Well, we have Chris for the day. Let's just shoot stuff of him watching and rooting for her and stuff. And they put it, the, all of it yep. in there. And it's like, 
any time that in theory the movie is building up some momentum in the suspense or whatever, you cut to I, these stupid cutaways. I was about to say it, it completely breaks any flow. Yeah. It, it breaks the flow. It destroys any reality and not like it ever had any reality. Yeah. But it's trying to create a sense of reality within its world that then is completely yanked away by watching uh, Chris Hemsworth in a bad wig going, yeah, at the camera because watching, rooting for his wife. It's just utterly perplexing. And I think what's sad to me is that he gives both the best and the worst performance in the movie in that he automatically has a certain presence being Chris Hemsworth, but is so silly and so out of place and takes you so out of the film that he's that he's the worst part of it. Yeah, it's it's not <laughs> you're the worst part of a bad movie. That's pretty sad. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it's it's just not really that good. And I I, I put off watching it for a while until, uh-huh. like I said, I was convalescing and I was like, well, let's see, you know, because you see the headlines and you see the tweets and you're like, well, let me judge for myself. I have, ladies and gentlemen, I have judged. Yeah, I saw it quite early and just, I felt guilty for canceling that interview, uh, but not that guilty because the first interview I ever had to do was for a horrendously bad film. And it's just, uh, to this day, it still just makes me uncomfortable to do these things because I don't like, Okay, I do sometimes enjoy attacking a bad film, but it's not what it's not what I do this for. I want to try and find things. I do this because I love movies, and I want to be able to analyze what works and what doesn't. And just piling on this movie sucks gets old. Right. Uh, I, I I try to find something good in every film. Even if it's the smallest thing, you know, or at least analyze what some. I think if there's nothing good about it, you can at least hopefully find some interesting analysis of why it fails so spectacularly. Right. This one, there's not really anything interesting beyond the fact that you had a guy who is. Let's say he's tenacious, Matthew Riley, uh, in he's built him up, self up as an author through self publishing, and created enough interest in Australia that he got enough Australians like Stuart Beatty and uh, Chris Hemsworth liking him enough that he got this movie made, um, and good good for him. Uh, he might get a sequel out of it because it did reasonably well on Netflix. I hope not. Uh, it doesn't uh, need one. It, it Well, it doesn't need one, but we could go off on a whole yeah. chance about the fact that... Most, most really movies don't need sequels. That's right. yeah. I'm really developing a pet peeve about the term unnecessary sequel. I haven't seen a necessary sequel since Return of the Jedi. But... Yeah, you you yeah, well, yeah that you may be right. I mean, because you can't count Marvel. Mean, 
Yeah, that doesn't mean unwelcome, that all of them are unwelcome, but how many are truly necessary. The thing about Marvel, like, for example, you can't count if it's Lord of the Rings or Endgame, something where they made them together, it doesn't count. Yep. It was always made with the understanding that this this one's getting, has already been made, and it's going to be released no matter what. Yep. Um, since then, I, I haven't seen a movie. You know, Return of the Jedi, we had to see what happened after Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen, I cannot think of a movie since then where we absolutely had to see what happened next. Yep. Uh, Endgame. <laughs> and again, they made those. Back I mean, can back you imagine back. if they just stopped with Infinity War? Uh, I just called it, called it, and we're done. And the bad guy has won. Yeah, uh, it would have been. Of course, to be fair, bit. my dream movie is uh, the bad guy wins, fade to black. So just right, once, and, and that be it. Break. Not we come back to Endgame or whatever. Yeah. I at, at some point there's going to be a movie where bad guy wins, uh-huh. fade to black. And it's yeah. like, dude, I'm sorry, man. That's just life. Absolutely. So, but yeah, Interceptor, not not great. Not, not great I'm at not all. Not even good. I mean, it's not like all-time worst level, but but in saying that, and this, this is kind of mean, but part of the reason it's not all-time worst level is because in order to truly reach that that level, it has to be something like um, The Room or something, a movie that I definitely wasn't in that was shot in Utah in 1989 that was not a sequel to the the movie Troll that has a certain element of inspired we, we want to be taken seriously. My point is I felt like Interceptor was too manufactured to... Oh, yeah. There has to be a level of we actually want to make something really good. It was it was a Lego movie. Yeah. In uh, that, that, that you... Every every story element is just a block, you know. Column, one from column A, from two, two from column B, villain from column yeah. D, you know, motivation from column F, and we're done. And, and that's really what it was. You, 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 this is literally... I think you can get on the internet and find a... a a novel plot generator mm-hmm. and you can spin this one up really fast. So yeah, <clears throat> not, not a great first outing from, uh, Mr. Riley. Not at all. Uh, but um, God, oh, I hope moving he does. on to, uh, more seasoned, uh, filmmakers. Let's talk about crimes of the future from L- David Cronenberg. Oh, the great, the great David Cronenberg. Uh, if you've never seen any Cronenberg uh, and you're queasy at all, don't watch any Cronenberg. Yeah, uh, this let's, is not, let's start with that. Yeah, you know, uh, since I've been really devoting myself uh, seriously to being a critic, there have been a few things. There are times when I have these weird moments, like just and think my life is weird. Uh, one of them is waking up my alarm going off and thinking, oh, I have to talk to Glenn Close in half an hour. But do I really have to put on pants? <laughs> um, <laughs> the other one within the past few months was, oh, I've got to head down for a 10 a.m. screening of Crimes of the Future. 
do I dare eat breakfast before this? <laughs> that means okay. So um, let's talk a little bit about what Crimes of the Future is. Uh, this is a movie. It's a science fiction tale with strong elements of horror, set in an unspe- unspecified era where the human species is taking the next step in evolution which of course sounds like x-men but it goes in a pretty different direction yeah people just start growing new organs yeah they also no longer experience physical pain uh heightened immune systems basically make infections a thing of the past and that accelerated evolution syndrome includes the body sometimes generating new organs and you have between the lack of pain the lack of infections and the new organs you have this character uh, Saul Tenzer played by Viggo Mortensen who has appeared in Eastern Promises and before that A History of Violence for um, for David Cronenberg who he and his uh, I don't know what his partner, partner. yeah, Liz, I do, are performance artists who basically she cuts him open in front of a, a live audience, removes the organs, and tattoos them, and that's their performance art. So if that if that immediately sounds like I couldn't watch this, you probably shouldn't watch it. No, it's absolutely uh, correct. Yeah. That being said, I was so geared up, especially after reading the people walked out at Con, uh, the Con Film Festival, and things like that, that it wasn't as grotesque as I was expecting it to be. I never really got particularly queasy during it. I was a little uncomfortable at times, but I, I was so steeled for this to be a squirm inducing experience. Yeah. The, the didn't I, really do that. And me. I think the reason, part of the reason uh, is that it, it feels very sterile, mm-hmm. f- especially for Cronenberg. Yeah. When so much of his other stuff, uh, you know, rabid videodrome, it's very raw. It's very visceral. This is really clinical in oh. so many ways, what they're doing. And it's just like, Oh, you know, you can watch, you know, a knee replacement surgery on YouTube that's probably more graphic than how he presents a lot of this stuff. Yeah, well, even I mentioned a history of violence. There's uh, in the the opening sequence of that uh, when the guy's jaw is hanging off barely after Viggo Mortensen shot him. That was, and granted, it also helps that was like, 15 years ago and I've seen a lot of movies since then but I was so much more traumatized by that than than anything I saw in this film I think for me the thing one of the reasons why this movie worked as well as it did is that um, I think Cronenberg I call him the master of the B-movie art house film um, and for me, what what he's done that's so interesting to me about this one is you've got a movie that that has a certain pretentiousness, um, 
but it's very aware of its own pretentiousness. And I feel like in telling the story of these these performance artists who are ultimately really just cutting people open and calling it art, uh, he's mirroring his own character's performance art and posing the question, is this bold and provocative or is it just empty titillation and exploitation? Um, he's saying that about himself as much as he is about what the characters are doing, um, as if the question, as if he's calling out the emperor has no spleen, as it were, to himself. Um, and there's a certain audacious genius in critiquing your own work as you're making it. Well, not fast. I, I agree and disagree with that. Uh, I think that yeah, that's a that's an acceptable. I, I, I think that it's you can argue that that's what he's saying about art. And you're right that uh-huh. the art world is inherently pretentious. Mm-hmm. In this film, art has become kind of the purview of everyone because of the way they're utilizing these evolutionary developments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even the way they're presented, you know, they're presented as these weird, still these weird, almost dinner party-esque performances. Uh-huh. Uh, but you almost expect to see a table full of guys in cowboy hats drinking PBR watching this stuff. So it's this weird two layered pretentiousness, but I don't necessarily believe that he's pointing that at himself because if he was the clear answer is that this particular bit of his work is simply pretentious and titillating. And it's just designed to make people think one thing and do another it's not his best it's not my favorite Cronenberg at all and so I would hope that he's not pointing out that this is not his best work because that seems very self-defeating fair enough I I still think that there's something interesting in doing so um, in raising asking the question why am I doing this and and why are you enjoying it? Right. Um, See, and I don't know that I actually enjoyed it that much. That's the, that I, I, like you, I was kind of expecting more older Cronenberg again uh, with more, but again, it's just, it, it's so very by the numbers and, and it, you know, maybe he's talking about horror in general, but uh, I don't know that he's specifically pointing himself out. I, I in, in, in this way, so yeah, so I, I think there's an argument to be had here. I think you, I think you're right in a lot of ways, but I think there's an argument to be had that he's more generalized than self-targeting. And, and I don't think it's entirely point. It's pointed directly at right. himself, but I do believe it is pointed partially at himself. For me, it, it's not his best. I didn't love the film. It's not going to be on my best list, but I found it intriguing surprisingly entertaining. I wasn't particularly expecting to be entertained by it. I found the performances to be to be strong. How at the same time for me the weakness of the movie uh is summed up in the fact that I I would say for me in, in my review I said that the word almost applies to almost to just about everything in the movie. Yeah. Uh, it's the performances are almost great. Um, 
almost Oscar worthy. Uh, Kristen Stewart, I think, could be an Oscar contender for this if her character had any kind of an arc. Um, the vision of the future is almost insightful, but not quite. And the story almost convinced me that it had something really meaningful to say, but in the end, it didn't. I thought it was a fun movie that will that will go very well with a certain audience. Um, I think the people who shop at Hot Topic are going to enjoy this movie. Possibly. <laughs> yeah. Very possibly. And I, I liked it well enough. Um, I, I thought Leah Sedu was really terrific. Uh, it was a lot more enjoyable as a view once kind of thing for me than I expected it to be. Yep. But it was, it was just a bit too empty to be anything truly, truly meaningful. Yeah, you, you say almost. I always say never quite. Yeah, <laughs> I always it's just never quite, never quite as smart as I think it needs to be. It's their performances are never quite as as good as they need to be. You know the the points that he's That's making are never never quite as deep. That's we need to make a movie called. Almost kind of never quite. Right. There you go. I can help yeah. write that. I do yeah. not have a problem with that. But yeah, so I think that's the problem with this one is it's just, it's just never, never quite, never yeah. quite there. It's like you can, but, you can see what it, what it might be. Yeah. But it's never actually that. Yeah. And I think it, I guess I, I enjoyed it because it sustained a level of intriguing possibility throughout. Yep. It was just that it never built to... It was a movie that the end came when it was kind of, huh, I really thought they were going somewhere with that. Um, and ultimately, I I don't know that Cronenberg knew entirely where he was going with it other than trying to make some some commentary on yeah. art and again are you on horror and summit himself um but i think that i think it's an entertaining movie for what it is yeah it's it's not it does it does feel like he was pantsing it a little bit there toward the end so yeah uh yeah it's so, not great art it's not it's not a landmark film no that, not that at all we so kind of uh yeah, so that three—that's three movies that that have come out in the last month or month and a half or so, uh, probably just in the last month, really. Yeah, uh, that we just hadn't—I I hadn't gotten around to talking about yet, uh, which uh, I know I still have to write some stuff up, and you guys will read that later. But uh, I hope that uh, much like me, you appreciated Patrick coming on and talking about some of these films. It was a good time, uh, but uh, we're we're about out of time, unfortunately. So, uh, Patrick, tell everyone again where they can read your everyday reviews or listen uh, or whatever. You can uh, read my reviews at www.slugmag.com. That's Slug Magazine, Salt Lake Underground uh, Magazine. I Most weekdays I'll have a review out. Um, I also have a podcast called Striking, the movie podcast that I co-host with another critic, Valerie Cameron, um, that you can find that. Uh, look, 
look us up on Facebook under striking colon the movie podcast. Yep. Uh, Val has been a guest here before. She's going to be back on again. Uh, She's a she's she's got some wonderful insights as well. So I actually need to go and listen to striking as well. It's been on my radar. I've just been a little busy. Uh, so uh, thank you again, Patrick, for for coming thank on. I appreciate it, everyone. I hope you enjoyed listening to us talk about this. Uh, don't forget to like the Visually Stunning Movie Podcast uh, on Facebook and Twitter at VS Movie Podcast. Go to the website vsmoviepodcast.com. Sign up there. I promise you will not get inundated with spam emails or anything like that. We're pretty. Uh, pretty relaxed here but we hope you enjoy what we're doing so let us know uh let us know if there's a movie that we need to talk about because we do like to find those hidden gems every once in a while so uh but until ryan is back we talk about some more movies we got some uh, screeners coming out this week that seem promising uh that we should hopefully be talking about soon uh and next weekend i'll be in denver for fan expo so i should be uh, tweeting some stuff about that as well and uh, till we uh, till we talk to you again, take it easy, stay safe. I am Mark. That is Patrick. Bye, Patrick. Bye. We'll talk Thanks. to everyone later. Bye, bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.